Today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. A believer, a disciple, is somebody who must be willing to pay the cost of being conformed to Jesus Christ. That's the goal of discipleship, Christ-likeness. That means the followers of Christ will be treated like their master. Welcome to Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church, located here in Redwood City, revealing God's grace through God's truth. The ABCs of discipleship, what every believer should know about following Christ. That's our series. We're in Matthew chapter 10, looking at verse 24 today and the goal of discipleship, that being Christ-likeness, a commitment to God's calling, a commitment to God's will, and a commitment to seek disciples. We would invite you to join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, again from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, our teacher and pastor once again. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Sometimes we need to hear things over and over and over and over again. And that's what Jesus did here with this teaching in Matthew chapter 10. He taught it over and over and over again. Same theme is in Matthew 16, Luke 14, John 8, 12, 15, all over the place. Scripture says that we learn precept upon precept, line upon line. That's what Isaiah 28, 10 says. So Jesus taught the essentials of gospel truth many times, in different ways, many times. And one of his favorite subjects was discipleship. There's people in the past, you think of folks like Florence Nightingale, who was a 19th century nursing pioneer. She wrote in her diary this. Listen to what she said. Today I am 30. At the age Christ began his mission. Now no more childish things. Now, Lord, let me think only of thy will. And this woman, Florence Nightingale, had a reputation of keeping nothing back from God. That's what God is after. That's what he's talking about here in Matthew 10. You think of somebody like Jim Elliott. We've all read the story of Jim Elliott, the, the missionary of the Aka Indians. He wrote in his diary this, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life and may I burn up for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Did God answer his prayer? He sure did. That's exactly what he got. He was a young man when he was witnessing to the Aka tribe down there. And an Indian threw a spear and, and took him out. Think of someone like Jonathan Edwards who wrote this. I have been before God and have given myself all that I am and I have to God so that I am not in any respect my own. Edwards was a man who belonged absolutely to God. That's the kind of commitment we're talking about. That's what God wants out of us. Let's look at our text in Matthew chapter 10 in verse 24. The ABCs of discipleship. There's some basic things that we need to understand about discipleship. The first thing is a disciple, a disciple is a follower of Christ in the context in which we're talking. That's what he says in Matthew 10, 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. A disciple is a follower of Christ. First of all, he claims a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The 12 apostles were the immediate primary audience for Jesus when he was teaching in this context. And they were to be sent out at this time for a, a short span of time in their first missionary journey, you might say. And to prepare them for the final commissioning after his resurrection, he sent them out kind of like an internship. Hey, I'm going to tell you some things. You're going to go out and you're going to do it and then you're going to go back and then we're going to talk about it. And we've talked about how this context, because at the end of verse 23 it says, till the Son of Man returns, the second coming of Christ. We talked about how this context here in Matthew 10 kind of broadens out. It, it, it looks into the future. It not only has an immediate teaching and application for the apostles, but it even carries over into the church age, and it even carries over into the tribulation time until the Son of Man comes. So the Lord's teaching telescopes out, and it encompasses all those who would ever follow him. This teaching isn't just for the disciples. It's for us as well. In verse 24, he uses that word disciple, and it emphasizes a broad scope of his audience. He's no longer talking about the 12 apostles. He's talking to them, and it applies to them, but he's also including everybody else who is going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you can see that as you look at the different words he uses from verse 24 forward, referring to disciples and people who follow him. He calls them slaves. He calls everyone. He says whoever, he who. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways that he relates. And you can see the, the rather than just call them the apostles, now, all of a sudden, he's broadening his scope of teaching. But he claims, a disciple claims to have a relationship, be a follower of Christ and be a, have a relationship with him. Secondly, he counts the cost. A disciple counts the cost. He made a point of presenting the cost of discipleship right up front. It would be to God that we would do that when we're sharing salvation with people. So many times... We go out and we share our faith and we make it sound so rosy and so good, which it is, but somehow we leave out this aspect of cost and taking up your cross and follow. Well, we don't want to give that to him at that point. Kind of want to suck him in and then, you know, he can tell about this stuff. It's almost like we're a used car salesman or something like that. It's ridiculous. Jesus was never that way. I love the honesty and the openness of Jesus. Right up front, man, he just threw it out there. You want to follow me? Here's what it's going to take. Because it doesn't do anybody any good, beloved, to go out and to water down the gospel and, and to, to, to kind of shove the cost that it's going to take someone to follow Christ. Put that aside because we just want people converted to Christ. That's all that matters. That's not all that matters. Remember, Jesus said, he didn't say go into the world and convert everybody. He said go into the world and make disciples. Big difference. We're not just trying to get somebody to pray a prayer. We're trying to get someone to follow Christ. And you're not going to do that in an authentic way if you don't share the entire truth with him. We don't do anybody any favors by trying to get him or her just to make a decision so that we can walk away from this. Oh, God, use me mightily. I had them pray this prayer. or they, you know, Now they're a believer. They can't make a decision for Christ apart from understanding what it belongs to Christ and what it will cost. That's why so many false believers are coming into churches today. Because they were never presented with the cost of discipleship. They don't understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. They just think if they get a little warm fuzzy in their heart, well then I'm a, I'm a Christian. Listen to some of the words of Jesus in John 6, 53. He says, except that you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
You're going to have no part with me. And at the end of that, in verse 66, he says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus meant that his followers must accept his sacrifice on their behalf for salvation. That's what he was talking about. He's not talking about cannibalism. He's giving them an illustration that talked about the sacrifice that it was going to take. But they wouldn't accept it. Over in Matthew chapter 8, we've seen this. We've been through this. Uh, verse 19 and 20, it says, A certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. And the text implies that Mr. Too Hasty, as I called him when we went through there, didn't follow Jesus at all because he wasn't willing to deprive himself of his earthly comforts. A little later on in that same passage, Matthew 8, 21 and 22, another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, first let me go home and bury my father. But Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the dead. That's what he was saying. He said, that doesn't concern you. And you say, well, that sounds kind of cruel. Well, you know what? This guy's dad wasn't even dead yet. He's just waiting for the inheritance, as tradition tells us. And as history tells us, Mr. Two hesitant in Luke 9, verse 61 and 62, we find Mr. Two homesick, said, another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and bid them farewell who are at, that, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What did Jesus mean? He was communicating the discipleship for this guy involved severing family ties. Sometimes that's what discipleship requires. In some cultures, you come to Christ when Christianity isn't their religion. Literally, they divorce you. They have a funeral for you, and you are no longer part of their family. And we think we got it bad because maybe we talk to our brother-in-law or sister-in-law or sister too much or whatever, and they don't come over for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Can you imagine being divorced from your family, treated as if you were dead because of your discipleship to Christ? See, the way that leads to eternal life, beloved, is narrow. It's narrow. It's not a broad way. It's not a wide gate. It's a narrow gate. And there's going to be few that find it because there's a cost and people aren't willing to pay the cost. That's how the Lord presented discipleship. That's how the Lord presented the gospel. He didn't sugarcoat it. He was willing to tell people what sometimes they didn't want to hear. So a disciple is a follower of Christ. Secondly, a disciple is treated like Christ. A disciple is treated like Christ. It says in verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor the servant above his Lord. A disciple is treated like Christ because he is an, he's associated with his teacher. He's associated with his teacher. By the time Jesus reached verse 24 in his teaching, Basically, the apostles have been told the following things. First of all, you're going to be sheep thrown in among ravenous wolves, verse 16. Verse 17 says you're going to be scourged. Verse 18 tells them you're going to be dragged before pagan courts. Verse 21 says you're going to be persecuted by your own families. Verse 22 basically says everybody's going to hate you. And in verse 23 says just keep running from city to city. <laughs> to avert the hatred that you're going to receive. So in verse 24, Jesus begins teaching on the cost of discipleship. And he gives two examples. First of all, a disciple is not above his teacher. And secondly, nor a slave above 
his master. Jesus' disciples, they were expected to be treated no differently than what Christ was. That's part of a relationship with Jesus. You're going to be treated like he was treated. He gives the first example there. Look at it. A student-teacher relationship. Those of you in school or went to school or whatever we all have, you know what, it, what the difference is between a student and a teacher, hopefully. If you don't, you're not going to last in the class very long. If you walk into the first day of class and you go up and you say, excuse me, professor, could you have a seat? I'm going to teach the class. I don't think you're going to be in that class very long. You probably won't get a passing grade. See, students learn what their teachers tell them. That's what the role is. That's the role that they take by choice. Since you're placing yourself under the teacher's instruction, obviously you can't be above the teacher. So he clearly points that out. Secondly, he talks about a slave and a master relationship. In the culture, a slave was chosen. He was bought by his master. He had no choice. You know, he couldn't get up in the morning and say, hey, you know, sorry, I don't feel like uh, feeding the cows today. Why don't you do it yourself, master? It didn't work that way. No choice. He had to obey whatever the master said. The master was always above the slave. What he's pointing out here is that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to be subservient to Christ as Lord. Just like students obey according to their choice of position. I'm a student. You're the teacher. I've got to listen to what you're going to say. And slaves obey by the compulsion of their position. They don't have any choice in the matter. They were chosen. We choose to be disciples and learn at the feet of Jesus. But he first sovereignly chose us to be his slaves. So we have an association with the teacher. Secondly, the disciples treated like Christ because he acts like his teacher. In Luke 6, verse 40, it says, A pupil or a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's the goal of teaching someone, that they would learn that you'd be able to pass on to them what you know. 1 John 2, 6, this is before the text that we read this morning, he that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk, even as who? He walked. So if you're saying that you're abiding in Christ, that you're a Christian, well, you might want to compare your walk with the walk of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're to be dominated with the word of Christ. We're to be dominated with God's word so that we can become more and more and more like him. And then in Matthew 10.27, Jesus says, What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. We say what he said. Our message is none other than what Jesus' message is. We don't go out and make up our own message. I don't come here on a Sunday morning and say, okay, let's see, open to the book of Stephanus and I'm going to teach you from my book this morning. How do you like that? I don't do that. Why? Because that's not true. The only truth we have in today's world is this book. That's why we exalt it. That's why we hold it up. That's why we strive with every fiber of our being to understand it and to teach it and to pass it on. And also in 1 John 3, 2, it says, we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like who? Like him. For we shall see him as he is. The goal of all the Christian life is conformity to Christ's likeness, as we said earlier. The result is that the world will treat Christians like it treated Christ. The disciples of a persecuted teacher will also be persecuted. That's what Jesus promised. The person who's increasingly like Christ in their walk will be treated increasingly like him. And in Matthew 10, 24, Jesus clearly tells us 
That if we aren't willing to come to him on those terms, don't even come. <laughs> don't bother. Because there's no other way. We have to remind ourselves of these basic truths. A disciple is a follower of Christ. A disciple is going to be treated like Christ was treated. And thirdly, a disciple is content to be like Christ. It says there in verse 25, look at what it says. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? The teaching here is basically a true disciple is content to be like his teacher, just like a true slave would be content to be like his Lord. That Greek word there translated enough. It's interesting. It means sufficient. Disciples of Christ don't try to escape what their Lord couldn't escape. See, the problem with the church today is we have so many Christians that aren't willing to face persecution. They don't go there. You say, well, I don't see that. I think people are committed. Take the simple thing of sharing your faith boldly. When's the last time you've done it? Boldly. Not slipping somebody a track, you know, as you leave them a tip. Hope you read it, you know. But I mean boldly confronting somebody with the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Why don't we just do that all the time? Because there's a fear. What is the fear? The fear of rejection. I have it. You have it. We all have it. And what he's saying here is, don't try to escape what the Lord couldn't escape. They're going to reject you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to hurl insults at you. They're going to do all sorts of evil against you. That doesn't mean you stop doing what God has called you to do. It is sufficient for a disciple to live like and be treated like Christ was treated. That's what Paul's prayer was in Philippians 3.10. That he would truly know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul didn't get down on his knees and say, Lord, please let the world love me more so I could have a bigger audience to share you with them. Help me be famous, Lord, so I could reach out into the Hollywood crowd. Help me just to be accepted. He didn't pray any of that because he knew that if he was going to be successful in pursuing Christ with everything he had within him, Part of that was knowing and experience how the world would treat him, and it wasn't going to be pleasant. A number of times Jesus was said that he was to be working for the devil. We looked at it in Matthew 9. Happens again in Matthew 12. That's what he's pointing out here. If they're saying that Jesus does, does these works, Jesus is saying, if they're, if they're saying, I do these works, these miraculous signs and whatever, by the work of Satan, don't you think that when you go out there and you start doing this, that they're not going to hurl these same things your way. You're going to be treated just like me. He is the master of the house and his disciples, them of his household, we're going to expect the same thing. See, a believer, a disciple, is somebody who must be willing to pay the cost of being conformed to Jesus Christ. That's the goal of discipleship, Christ-likeness. That means the followers of Christ will be treated like their master. John 13, 16, it said, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. In John 15, verses 18 to 21, it says, If the Lord hated you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, wor the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. 
but all things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him who sent me. Those are the words of Christ. John 16, 2, the same. The time's come is coming that whoever kills you will think that they're doing God's service. We can't relate to that here in America, but you know what, beloved? We're getting closer and closer and closer to a time that maybe we will have a little more relations. We'll be able to relate to persecution a little more. See, in spite of the world's treatment, in spite of how all this comes in on us at times, God moves the hearts of people to redeem them. That's how God works. It's not us. It's Him. Many of us, when we became a Christian, it was through what we saw in another believer. We saw God change somebody's life. And we wanted part of that. We saw the joy, the peace, the freedom of guilt, the sense of forgiveness, the hope of eternal life that attracted that person to Christ. And we're attracted to that. While at the same time, it's distasteful to so many when they begin to understand there's a cost in this. God calls us to follow him with our whole hearts. And my question to you this morning is, are you doing that? Have you given up everything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, what do you mean everything? That means, you know what? Maybe if you speak out boldly on behalf of Christ. So I'm preaching this to me as well as I'm preaching it to you. I'm not saying I, I've attained to this. I'm, we're all in process. Well, you know, you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to become some radical. Why not? Why not? Or your feelings when people don't want to have anything to do with you anymore? See, the whole mentality today is that, well, we got to build bridges. So we got to build bridges with people. And, you know, over 15 years, maybe we're building this bridge. And, you know, we just slip in little things here and there. That's what I love about Jesus. He just let it all out. Just gave it to him on the first meeting. Either you're going to love me or you're going to hate me, but here it is. See, I respect somebody a lot more than if I could just share with them boldly what Christ could do for them and their, their state of sinfulness and just throw it out there to them. I mean, if they don't want to be my friend after that, I don't want to be their friend. I mean, I've, I've shared things with, with folks at times that I'm thinking, well, that guy won't talk to me again. <laughs> Last time we'll bring that subject up. But you know what? They come back. They come back. Why? Because it's truth. And they're driven to it. I mean, you can build a bridge with somebody in two minutes if you have a personality. And then cut right to the chase. I mean, if they don't want to talk about their sin and, and how they need Christ, well, what, what are you going to talk about, the 49ers? I mean, what else is he going to talk about? I'm not saying to be rude. I'm not saying to be obnoxious. But cut right to the chase. At least you know where they're at. And they know where you're at. Then you pray that God will take that truth and work in their heart and draw them to himself. And maybe if we're bolder in our witness for Christ, maybe he will actually use us the moment he's drawing them to be there at that opportune time to share with them how they can come to personally know Christ. And you can walk away saying, wow, God used me to make this transformation possible. Incredible. It's not us, it's him working through us. You need to remember that. But are you tuned into him? Are you tuned into his word? Are you coming here week after week after week ready to hear the word of God? Are you excited about it? I pray that you are. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we pray that you would do a work in each heart here this morning. Lord, that we wouldn't be complacent in our faith. 
that we wouldn't grow cold and callous toward you as our teacher, as our master, as our Lord, but Lord, that you would generate in us an excitement that's genuine. It's not like a helium balloon that's there and then pops and is all gone, but something that lasts. And only your spirit can do that in the hearts and lives of your people. Father, we thank you and we pray you bless the rest of our day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our series is simply entitled The ABCs of Discipleship. You've been listening to Graceful Truth, and it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area, and if not, we'd love to have you come by and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call. Here's our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. If you would like the series, The ABCs of Discipleship, let us know when you contact us. We'd be more than happy to get these into your hands. Again, our series is called The ABCs of Discipleship, taken from Matthew chapter 10. Our phone number once again is 650-366-9923 or visit us online at gracefultruth.org. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 